0: Welcome to the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Today on the show, we have Dr. Michael McKay, Assistant Professor of Biblical Theology. He is a recent world traveler. Over Christmas break, he took a group of Cedarville students to the Holy Land.
1: He also recently taught a class in Russia. Now here's our conversation with Dr. Michael McKay. Have you ever been to the Holy Land? Today's guest, Dr. Michael McKay, Assistant Professor of Biblical Theology, at Cedarville University, just returned from Israel, and he's in studio today to discuss the trip and how it's impacted him. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. McKay. Thank you, Mark, I appreciate being here. Michael, I've known you for 12 years. When we first met, you were a seminary student in Indiana? When did you decide to come to Cedarville University? So, lived in Indiana for five years, Mm -hmm. and then ended
0: up moving to Texas to go to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and it's there that I got my Ph.D., Right, and uh, we lived down there for seven years, so just enough to kind of get a little bit of Texas culture.
1: Aren't you glad you moved from Texas? Uh, I I am.
0: I miss the seasons terribly, so uh, even I grew up in Georgia, but we had seasons in Georgia, whereas Texas doesn't really have any seasons so Indiana did, uh, Michigan did where we lived, and thankfully Ohio does as well.
1: And Leanne's from Canada. She
0: is, yes. So even though she's from Canada, really she grew up in the Philippines most of her life. She's lived in the States more than she has uh, Canada, to be honest.
1: I'm glad you're here. Yeah, we've kind of
0: ping-ponged from the north to the south, to the north to the south. And so it's, uh, yeah, glad to be in the Midwest here.
1: And... And you know, I've got to know you even f- better uh, in recent, well, this year maybe, by um, recording your uh, Bible study series that uh, is being used at Patterson Park Church for in Sunday school and in the men's ministry.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's going very well. Uh, it really is. I'm, I'm excited that uh, people are enjoying it, looking forward to talking more with the men there, and, and uh, yeah, just being an encouragement.
1: I want to dive into two topics today. First, your trip to Russia to teach pastors, and then when you took 20 Cedarville students to Israel, what motivated you to serve in this way? Yeah, great question. So it's
0: odd, from October to January, I will have been on 17 flights. Serious. Yeah, in those few months, that's not normal. That's not normal for me. Uh, I I do enjoy travel, but I have not uh, had the opportunity to that much travel in a while. And so my wife and I, LeAnne and I, we were with New Tribes Mission for Mm -hmm. nine years. Mm -hmm. It's now Ethnos 360. And so we really enjoyed that ministry. We really believe wholeheartedly in planting churches, and in that particular case, in remote indigenous tribal peoples around the world. And so when we decided to step out of New Tribes Mission so that I could go to school and pursue those endeavors, we always had this desire that once we got settled down, uh, we would be able to get plugged in that way. So the Israel trip, actually, I had kind of put my name forth as, hey, I'm interested in doing this. but I honestly didn't think it would happen for a few years because I'm very new at Cedarville. Right. I thought there would be a line, right? Uh, and then the Russia trip uh, came up through a facilitator missionary, Daniel Kane, uh, through and Ministries. And so he said, "Look, I've got this opportunity to teach. Uh, you know, really the those who don't have a chance to get." some formal theological education, so primarily church leaders, those who are kind of being brought up to fulfill roles in the, in the church in Russia. And so that had that all started working actually a, a year ago last fall, raising money in that. So the desire and the impetus to do both of those things, um, is, it really stems from uh, this desire to be part of not only sharing the gospel, but helping to disciple the church. Sure.
1: So even though I, I have known your wife longer because we worked together at a different school, I've rapidly learned about you that you are a gifted Bible teacher. You oh, know, thank you. Um, again, you're, you're teaching men at Patterson Park Church how to study, and apply the Bible, um, which is great. And that may, that may be similar to what you did in Russia where you taught a nine-hour um, course on the Pentateuch. Correct. What was the experience like for you as a teacher, and what was it like for little students? Yeah, that's a great question. I so from a teacher perspective,
0: I don't know Russian, so I had to work through a translator. So that was a very unique uh, thing. That for for me personally, I've only done on really one other occasion when I was in Papua New Guinea for a summer. Uh, so there was a learning curve that went in with that. And the, you know, the Russian people, they have a very different way of learning. I, maybe learn that's not the right way to say it, but the, they have a different educational mindset than maybe what I was used to. And okay. so the idea of being interactive with questions and answers, I love that. Um, but they were much more willing to s- just sit there and listen and take notes. And I think going through a translator uh, probably you know, kept us, uh, uh, there was some distance there. However, it was outside of the teaching time that I got a chance to talk to several of them through the translator, or some of them knew a bit of English, and we were able to have some conversations. And that's really where I feel like I I got to see their heart and their love for the Lord Jesus and mm-hmm. their desire to grow and, and really soak up the
1: opportunities that,
0: that they've been given through this ministry. Yeah.
1: So you talk about the translator, and, and that was my next question, actually, is what was it like for you to have to to work with a translator, and how did it impact your communication with the students? Yeah,
0: it it, it did. Uh, it, it did impact it. I, You know, kind of the rule of thumb that I was told kind of going into it is keep your ideas fairly short and brief so that the translator can accurately represent those in in Russian. And so in that sense, sometimes, you know, after like 15 minutes of talking, you you kind of wonder, hey, did we cover a whole lot of ground here? Because I was keeping my ideas fairly straightforward and and brief. but thankfully I was able to, I would say, Hey, does anybody have any questions? And then a few of them would uh, ask some questions that let me know a little bit what was coming across. And we had a fantastic translator. He was really good. So there were times where, um, you know, he would ask me for clarification. Sometimes the audience would ask a question and I could hear him explaining it. And then he would summarize what he told them. So he was really phenomenal, uh, really took the edge off of you know,
1: making that a difficult situation. Right. Do you have any plans or are there any future plans for you to go back to Russia to continue? I think the door is definitely open for that. Um,
0: I know that Triumph is still looking for uh, people who will go teach, and I, I'm not sure. I, I'm open to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, right right now I've just had quite a bit of travel the last year, so I, I uh, told Leanne I would take it easy for this next year.
1: <laughs> so when you said 17 flights, Is that 17 trips, or is that multiple legs of a trip? Multiple legs, yeah. So some of those were for some conferences and things in-house
0: here, but uh, yeah, still 17 flights.
1: And that probably is a reason that
0: uh, led to you getting sick. I think so, yeah. yeah. Coming back, my body just said, uh, you're done for a little while and got the flu. (laughs) Well,
1: approximately, um, and this is the second part of the the podcast, Um, about six weeks ago, after returning from Russia, you went to Israel with mm. 20 Cedarville students and then 20 students from another other schools or another school. What was the goal and purpose of that trip?
0: Yeah. So Passages is an organization that they are uh, a bridge group trying to really bring young Christians, and I don't mean necessarily young in the faith, but like college-age students, who can go to Israel, and part of this is to acquaint them with their... Their Christian roots, so to speak, and this, these are kind of terms that they use. So there already is an organization in Israel called Birthright, which tries to get young Jewish students over to visit their uh, the Holy Land and consider maybe moving back to Israel or moving to Israel, I should say. And this is something that is, is similar with passages. So uh, they are this year they're hoping to cap ten thousand college students that they will have brought to Israel over the last several years. And uh, give them an exposure to not only to the biblical sites, but to the geopolitical situation mm-hmm. that's over there. Right. So it's very much an ancient and a modern uh, tour, if you will. We got to hear quite a few guest speakers talking about a range of different topics from Jewish-Christian relations to uh, the Palestinian issue to mm-hmm. uh, the Gaza Strip and living on the edge of the Gaza Strip by uh, you know uh, the Jewish people there fantastic opportunities just to try to wrap your mind around what is just this immense problem. But then, of course, since the students from Cedarville, 18 of them were from the School of Bible and Theology, we were also extremely interested in the biblical sites, of course, and everybody on the trip was. But uh, So that was extremely rewarding to go to Galilee and Tiberias and these right. cities.
1: And we'll get into some of that in a little bit. So the, is this tour... Also, in connection with History and Government?
0: Yes. So, History and Government is the contact point for Cedarville. Okay. And so, thankfully, there's a, a sharing that goes on where History and Government takes a team of 20 students one year and then the School of Bible and Theology the next year. And so, um, that's a really great opportunity for us to be a part of what yeah. History and Government's organizing really.
1: How meaningful was it for you to now lead 20 Cedarville students? but lead, what, three or four of your own children?
0: Yeah, that was fantastic. So several of my kids are in the School of Bible and Theology, and uh, then we only had 18 from our school sign up, so we had a a window there for my youngest daughter, who's in education, to be able to attend as well. And so that was great. And then we had one nursing
1: student as well. Phenomenal opportunity. So what great trips you have taken, Russia, Israel? How are you different today because of those trips? Oh, that's a good question. I really benefited from, in
0: Russia particularly, the worship service that we had there. So the way the teaching days fell was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, The group there let me preach in the church that morning on Sunday through the translator, so one of my lessons for my nine hours ended up being the sermon, so I Mm -hmm. kind of converted it that way. But there was about 150 believers there. Um, not all enrolled in the classes, but for the church service. And after I sat down um, from teaching, then they had a second sermon, and then we did communion, and they had scripture memorization, and the translator translated all of that for me so that I could really follow what was going on in the really? worship service. So I have to admit, that was extremely encouraging. That To me, that was the highlight of the trip. It really was, okay. uh, because I got, I got to really hear them vocalize their love for the Lord Jesus, their desire to grow, their prayer requests as they're pouring out their needs before uh, the Lord, uh, and it's, you know, it's similar to what we experience in so many ways in our church in North America, and it was just, it was refreshing. But
1: to hear it in a different language. Yes. I can't imagine.
0: Yeah. It was, it, it, it's that weird situation. you we have no idea what they're saying, and then the translator tells you what they're saying, and you're like, wow, that, that's really amazing to hear you express that. The genuineness of their faith comes out just like it does with our own
1: friends and family. It's, it's like a little slice of heaven. Yeah, it really is. Oh, that's cool. So obviously, this was um, an opportunity for you that to uh, grow your faith, but it's also a teaching opportunity for you even to be a better faculty member. How can these trips help you be a better teacher for your students in the classroom?
0: Yeah, so with the you know with the Russia trip and to some degree, but not quite as much with the Israel trip, um, to be able to bring back the perspective of other Christians from around the world. So with the Russia trip, that's that was easy because it was all with believers. With the Israel trip, we met um, a Palestinian believer. Okay. Uh, so we actually went to the West Bank and heard him share about his faith and growing up in the West Bank, growing up as a Palestinian Christian, um, his testimony, if you will. Uh, I hope that those kind of things will... Uh, help me to think more broadly than just some of our North American Christian issues, but to kind of give me a, a global perspective. But on a, on a very practical note as well, you know, the, the pictures I took of Israel, I hope to work into my classes. Right. I've already done that to a limited degree in the first couple of weeks here. Uh, just to maybe give the, the students, you know, when we're talking about these cities and places, uh, to give them uh, 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 some kind of reference point, so that as they're reading the text, which is the ultimate point here—to have them read the Word of God and understand it—maybe they can then be thinking about some of these scenes that they're they're looking at and realizing, really, how small Israel is and how everything's compact. And as Jesus is wandering through the Galilee, you know, all of these things are uh, many times in, within several hours of each other.
1: You know, wow. it's hard to get that. Without seeing it, what did you see in Israel, and where did you travel?
0: Yes, we started off, uh, flew into Tel Aviv, and then we pretty much instantly went to uh, the area of the Galilee, so the Sea of Galilee, and we stayed in the city of Tiberias for several yep. days, and did uh, some day trips out to to Nazareth and to Capernaum, um, yep. and. Uh, had, you know, one of the one of the highlights of that part of the trip was eating fish f- caught from the Sea of Galilee in a restaurant at the Sea of Galilee, and then as soon as the meal was over, we got on a boat and went on the Sea of Galilee. So you know, these are some very cool things to be yeah. able to do. Uh, then from there, we ended up going and. Um, Eventually, we ended up in Jerusalem and did most of our day trips from there. But from Jerusalem, we went all the way down to the Dead Sea. We went to, like I mentioned earlier, the West Bank in Jerusalem. We went to the Gaza Strip and, and then, of course, did tons of uh, sightseeing in Jerusalem proper. So th- those were kind of the big areas that we stayed
1: at. Part of your role on this trip was to lead devotionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you led devotionals in the Garden of Gethsemane. Capernaum and Megiddo. Uh, take our listeners through that experience or those experiences.
0: Yeah, so the first one, I, I don't remember if you mentioned this one, but the first one was actually at Capernaum and uh, then at Peter's house. They think okay. they've unearthed Peter's house in Capernaum. So there's a, a synagogue in Capernaum that is not first century, it's maybe third century, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> However, it gives us a, a you know it's it's well preserved as far as the ruins go. When you think about how old that is, so I did the first uh, devotional there. My counterpart, uh, who also brought 20 students, we kind of divided up these Correct. devotionals ahead of time. So. I did Capernaum. I did Peter's home there because Peter's from Capernaum, and there's an incident in the Gospels where Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and Jesus goes in and, mm-hmm. and heals her. And of course, Capernaum is just a, a very rich place of Jesus's ministry uh, as he enters into the synagogue and, and preaches there, not the synagogue we were at, but you know, okay. it's kind of close enough to where you could still get the sense of it. And then, yeah, we went to uh, Mount Megiddo. And of course, that is famous for being in Revelation, the place where the the ultimate battle is getting prepped for, and so what was phenomenal about Megiddo is the you know apparently they've unearthed over 20 different layers of this city that's been demolished and then rebuilt demolished and rebuilt mm-hmm. and over and over and over again so uh, and then you go up to the top and you're just able to look over this valley of Megiddo, you know, this, this place where there's this big plain there. So that was, a, that was a, a just a neat opportunity to, to see what's how really archaeology is unearthing these things.
1: And that was an impromptu devotional for you, right? It was, Tell me yeah. about that. Yeah, so we it
0: wasn't one of the recommended devotional sites right. that they had, but our, our tour guide asked us, you know, hey, do you either of you want to do a devotional on Mount Megiddo? And we were like, no, that's fine, we don't have to. And she's like, she was shocked, because I, I guess a lot of evangelicals really want to do really? Mount Megiddo as the end times. And I said, well, uh, you know, we can think about it, and so I actually had woken up because my body hadn't quite adjusted to the time over there. It was about three thirty a.m., you know, Israel time, and I woke up. I thought, well, I'll look some things over, and, and some thoughts came together. So I, I shared those at the yeah, but that really was an impromptu devotional. That's cool. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned a little bit ago about um, fish and the boat ride in the Sea of Galilee. That was uh, one of my questions. What made that ride so meaningful? for you and your students? Mm Because I think there's a backstory there, isn't there? Well, um, all I can say for myself is uh,
0: that when – some of it is meaningful because it's just kind of a superficial reason, but it's still very cool to be able to think you're eating fish caught from the Sea of Galilee right there. And Israel, one of the things we learned is that fresh water is, of course, a huge national issue that they've wrestled with for years. Um, Israel reclaims 80% of its used water, which is pretty phenomenal. And some of that's through desalinization and that kind of stuff. But anyway, the Sea of Galilee is extremely precious to them. Uh, And as a result of this, they actually don't let much of the water from the Sea of Galilee out through what used to be the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. So the Jordan River almost doesn't exist anymore, really. which is amazing. That is, And so the Dead Sea is actually shrinking for various reasons, uh, partly because of the Jordan River not flowing into it. They, they have it under they, – they've dammed it up. That's why it's that's right. doing this. So uh, – but just being able to eat at that restaurant and then go on the Sea of Galilee and realize – Wow. Okay. There's so much that happens around this nexus point in Jesus's ministry. You right. know, you got him walking on the water. Yeah. You you have uh, him preaching on the Mount of Beatitudes, which is basically right there off the off the the bank of the galley you've got um, all the cities that he's going to Tiberius and Capernaum that are all there that, this ends up being a hub in many ways and so there is a certain kind of moment where you're on the sea of Galilee and you're like well, this is uh, this is amazing to think that I'm actually looking at all of these things and of course it was 2000 years ago that Jesus saw these things a lot of cha- a lot has changed but The very idea of being able to just sit and reflect on these biblical stories in light of what I was saying, that was definitely a a great experience. Now, I think the students were all experiencing something very similar. Um, So I don't know if that's what you were referring to as kind of a shared shared kind of reflective point, but I think everybody was sensing that at that moment on
1: the boat. So you remember a, a, a time on the trip or maybe on the boat or in one of these historical biblical sites where you said, wow, I... I am where Jesus was. Yeah, what that, was it like
0: that? Was regularly a thought that I think went through all of our minds, and when, there was a couple thoughts that went through my mind in relation to that. One of them is that, yeah, I'm I'm actually here in this place where where the Lord lived and did miracles, and there is. These are historical realities that we look at through the scriptures. A secondary thought though, that also kept going through my mind, and this became really evident, and I'm just going to jump ahead to the empty tomb for That's just fine. a second. Sure. but w- when you go into what they you know they think is the tomb that Jesus might have been laid in, uh, and part of my devotional that I gave in Israel was on this, when you go there, I mean it's empty. And this is, of course, the hope of our faith that Jesus right. is resurrected. And But one of the points I wanted to make to the students is that coming to Israel and seeing these sites – is not the end goal of our Christian focus. In other words, the Word of God is what interprets this. And Mm -hmm. my challenge to the students was that, you know, the tomb is empty, this room doesn't interpret itself. Mm -hmm. You walk in there and there's nothing to see, I mean, besides it being an ancient tomb, there's no body, there's 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 nothing else there. However, the Word of God is what interprets that for me so that when I leave there, I can actually be extremely joyful and excited because the scriptures tell me Jesus is raised from the dead. The scriptures tell me what that means for my own sin. It tells me what it means for God's future redemption and resurrection. And I, so I had these two thoughts always going through my mind while I was over there. Michael, this is phenomenal. You're able to see through a lens darkly maybe the same things that Jesus was looking at. And then the flip side is I was so grateful for the scriptures to help me understand and interpret what I'm looking at because I without that interpretive grid work, we're kind of left to our imagination. Right,
1: what a great experience. And what what you just said makes me think, if, if you took all of what you saw in Israel, and you planted that here in the United States, we try to make it a, a museum or whatever, and commercialize it, but it's really authentic and real. in in israel right
0: yeah there's a lot of it that's that is commercialized but then there is a lot of it that you're looking at and you're like i'm amazed this is actually preserved as well as it is yeah
1: yeah yeah how neat from a political uh, perspective or structure um we often hear of tension between the israelis and palestinians so this this will get to the geopolitical part of the trip Uh, what was your experience when you traveled from jerusalem uh, into the palestinian controlled west bank
0: that's Yeah, that was uh, – I think everybody was a little sober at that moment because we realized that, hey, look, we're walking into a sensitive situation. And even though our guide and everybody said, look, you guys are going to be totally safe, we had um, all kinds of assurances of safety. And that, that really wasn't um, – it shouldn't have been an issue on our minds. But I think everybody was like, well, we hear about this on the news all the time. So oh, we want to be, be really careful. So when you go into the West Bank, one of the first things that they showed us there was this barrier. That's been erected between, um, you know, the the Israeli side of Jerusalem and then the Palestinian governed side of. Uh, the West Bank. And so only about 5%, if I remember correctly, of this barrier that's separating out the West Bank is a stone barrier, what we might call a wall, something like that. The rest of it is fencing. Okay. Um, but boy, this barrier that we, the few percent that you know we did get to actually see of that, it's actually pretty high and it kind of stands there. And this has really helped to cut down on... Uh, just any kind of terror acts of terrorism where people can just freely walk mm-hmm. from the West Bank into any part of Israel and, of course, do damage. And so our tour guide walked us through the a little bit of the history of what was going on before the barrier. But when we got across the barrier, we were met by uh, a Palestinian representative who was um, Uh, He was able to show us the barrier, talk about some of the situations of the Palestinian people, and give us that perspective. So here he is giving us a different perspective than than maybe what we would have caught just in our own news media or even from the Israeli Mm -hmm. side. You're going to have multiple opinions. And then we went to this uh, hotel conference room, and he spoke to us further. And this is where we also got to listen to a Palestinian Christian and then a Palestinian Muslim as well. So know. we had several different perspectives, and a lot of the that they were talking about the humanitarian issues, thankfully with the, the Christian though. Um, he was also talking about his own Christian experience mm-hmm. and how as a persecuted minority I think originally he was brought up in the Gaza Strip, which um, Hamas ended up being voted into power. And he said it was just so uh, terrible living under that that he ended up moving to the West Bank. Mm. Um, But anyway, he was able to offer a very unique perspective. And I'll be honest, when I left that area, my head was kind of spinning, you know, this with all the the data I've heard and and thinking, well, how am I supposed to process this? It's actually... I think I'm still working
1: through that, to be honest, in a sure. lot of ways. Did he give you a sense of what it's like to be a Jewish Christian in in Israel? Well,
0: he was Palestinian, so oh, yeah, right. Palestinian Christian. So yes, um, from his perspective, I mean, he's definitely faced persecution and um, and. And, and later on, we had also uh, – I'll, I'll mix stories here a little bit – but when we ended up uh, – one of the other lectures we heard in Jerusalem was of another uh, Palestinian Christian um, who his uh, family had faced real persecution, beatings, and that kind of stuff at the hands of uh, various people who disagree with them. So, you know, here we have – I think – I, and I don't want to oversimplify a very complex situation, particularly because I'm not an expert on this, but I think sometimes because of maybe uh, the news outlets that we listen to or or our limited understanding of the whole situation, we tend to think in terms of just terrorists and non-terrorists
1: assess the situation. Good perspective. Yeah. It yeah. was very helpful for okay. me. Uh, we're, we're running out of time, but I have two questions I want to ask you. Um, so often when I hear people who go to Israel, uh, like last year I talked to Dr. Glenn Dewar, who on, was on the same trip, and I I hear them say that when they read the Bible now, after going to Israel, they no longer read it in black and white, but they read it in full living color. Mm. Have you experienced anything like that? Yeah, so one, one of the first, uh, the
0: first devotional that I did, I actually used this as an illustration in order to maybe help the students. Uh, integrate what they're seeing with the biblical text. And so I, I likened it to when you read one of your favorite stories, maybe Lord of the Rings or something like that, and then you watch the movies, and then you go back and you reread Lord of the Rings, and now you're going to see Viggo Mortensen's face whenever you mm-hmm. read about the character of Aragorn or Elijah Wood for Frodo. And so I, I think there might be that might be a helpful analogy to sure. reading the scriptures now when you read the Gospels and you're, you know, talk, thinking about, or, or even like the book. Of Acts, Peter's at the Temple Mount. He's giving this uh, this fantastic sermon, and people are getting not only healed and saved, but I have a picture now of the Temple Mount, you know, in my brain, yeah. and uh, I can ask some of the questions like, "Hey, I wonder where this may have taken place," and and uh, it adds that, like you said,
1: color to that or this yeah. uh, this added bit of detail. Yeah. My last question. I ask this to everyone. Uh, what is your greatest memory or most memorable memorable event? from your time at Cedarville University. Oh, at Cedarville
0: University, yes. Um, I absolutely love teaching here. And I don't know if I could, this is probably not exactly what you're looking for, but there are so many times that I leave the classroom and I am encouraged by our students. I really am. The questions that they're asking, and I I teach in in the Bible minor primarily, so general education classes, right? So everybody's required to take Old Testament literature, New Testament literature. And I am regularly encouraged with the desire of our students to grow and the questions that they ask me, uh, and sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in class. And to me, this is a mark of their own walk with the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So I know that's probably not what you're looking at as one primary event, but I'm regularly thankful for my job and the privilege I have to... To, uh, to teach the Word, and I, I love seeing what God's doing with the students that way. It thrills sure. my heart.
1: Well, thanks for sharing your, your Israel trip, uh, that experience. Uh, I've enjoyed to uh, get to know you better, uh, even though I met you 12 years ago. Uh, thrilled that you joined me on the podcast and have recovered somewhat from the flu. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, and, uh, for, you, thanks for enlightening our listeners on what it's like to be a Christian in Israel. And I wish you the best and continue teaching the gospel um, in your classes and wherever you are. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you, the invitation.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you are encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring
1: Cedarville story for God's glory.